Now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Keith Poston. This week we have two segments focused on the issue of race. One is about an exciting new exhibition opening this week at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences in Raleigh called Race, Are We So Different? The second is a great story about a group of students who are making an impact by spotlighting and seeking to honor a local pioneer in desegregation in our state. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with our segment we call Headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Members of the North Carolina General Assembly went on spring break last week without taking action on the K-3 class size cap that is keeping thousands of art, PE, music, and foreign language teachers on edge. Superintendents continue to warn members of the North Carolina Senate that if they do not act on HB 13 that passed the House 114 to 0 in February, they will be forced to eliminate thousands of jobs to comply with the lower class sizes. A new report out this week from the North Carolina Justice Center says this will cost North Carolina school districts as much as $388 million, per, million more per year in operating costs as well as significant capital costs that the report calls an unfunded mandate. Senate leaders maintain the class size reductions are funded. In court filings last week, North Carolina Superintendent of Public Instruction Mark Johnson says the State Board of Education has severely limited his authority and has either ignored or denied his request to make staffing changes at the State Education Department. State Board Chair Bill Kobe said in an interview he is both baffled and shocked by Superintendent Johnson's statements. Johnson and Kobe, both Republicans, are the public faces in a power struggle that really began in the North Carolina General Assembly in December when the legislature shifted much of the power from the state board to the newly elected state superintendent. The state board filed a lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the new law, and the case is scheduled to be heard in June. Some state lawmakers want the state to explore splitting up some of North Carolina's largest school systems into smaller districts. House Bill 704 filed last week would create a study committee, a preliminary step that can make it possible to break up large systems such as Wake County and Charlotte-Mecklenburg. The committee would also consider how to divide school districts and whether a local referendum or petition would be needed before a district could be split. We'll explore this issue further in a future show. Finally, before the General Assembly recessed last week, a flurry of bills were filed, including several education bills introduced by Senator Chad Barefoot, who was on the show last week. The bills all focus on teacher recruitment and retention strategies. They include an initiative to help teacher assistants pursue teaching licenses, allowing community college professors to teach core subject classes in K-12 schools, and additional funding for the North Carolina New Teacher Support Program. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read much more about each of these headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we are focusing today on race. And our first guest here today are to talk about a new exhibition opening this weekend at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. We have Amelia Cowens Taylor. Amelia is the Assistant Head of Communications at the Museum of Natural Sciences. And we have James White. James is the Executive Vice President for Organizational Relations at the YMCA here in Raleigh, but also serves on a Community Advisory Board at the museum. Thank you both yes. for being here. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, Amelia, I want to start with you. Tell me about race. Are we so different? Where did this exhibition come from? It actually was originated at the uh, Science Museum of Minnesota. 
in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. And it was created to help demystify a lot of the bad science that was out there uh, that helped to justify racism through eugenics. And so this is an exhibit that through the lens of science, history, and lived experiences shows people that we should embrace difference and that we're actually more alike than we are different. Right. One of the things that I know the exhibition delves into is the issue that race itself was really something that, uh, that humans constructed and not something that really is um, that science bears out. Race is man-made. It's mm -hmm. a social construct. It is not biological. And I think that that is a, a huge uh, thing to state because a lot of people believe the, the absolute opposite. Uh, it is an extremely transformational exhibit. There are tons of interactives, especially for students as well as entire families. But one of the things that really intrigued me, and I've seen the exhibit three times, uh, is that everything, every section is posed in the form of a question because it really empowers you and encourages you to think about what you really feel and, and, and come front your biases, confront some of the ways that you really view people, and then it makes you take a good hard look at yourself as well as others. Is that what you want the community to get out of it, James? Well, absolutely, and especially since, yes, it is true that race is a social construct, but yet politically, socially, and economically, we still live with those systematic right. implications of that construct every day. Right. There may not be a, bi there may have not a biological basis, but the lived experiences absolutely. of African Americans, persons of color, absolutely. Is, is absolutely different. Yes. And I think this is our opportunity, I believe, to engage in a learning experience mm -hmm. for the community as a whole to really begin to say, how can we begin writing a new story? Why is it so important, this subject of race? Uh, why is it so important now and at this point in our history? I, you know, I think because it's, it's true that we think about what's really going on in our world today. And one of the things that we can begin to see happening, it seems like all across America and our world, we see this idea of revolution. But revolution should, first of all, begin with revelation. Mm -hmm. and, and revelation that really does reveal truths that are critical to our thinking and how we exist as humans. I think sometimes in America, we shudder to deal with a, a history because we sometimes base everything on her heroes. Mm -hmm. But one of the beautiful things about, I believe, the world we live in today is that our heroes are human. Mm -hmm. right. And maybe our history is really filled with human people who did heroic things and more heroic realities can happen with our community even today. I mean, why, why do you think it's, um, it's people find it hard to talk about race? Well, if you just turn on the news, uh, the headlines are very polarizing. Um, I think whole communities feel marginalized and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. There are people that feel like their voices are not heard. And I think that daily people have to combat stereotypes that are unfairly placed upon them. Uh, and it is just interesting because I think a lot of people just don't have the vocabulary to really enter into a very meaningful and transformational conversation about race. And this is an exhibit that will really help you formulate that that vocabulary. Mm -hmm. uh, we're offering some very unique programming, and one in particular are cultural conversations. And these are facilitated conversations in safe space for 90 minutes that you can reserve, and they're absolutely free on the weekends. Right, and the whole exhibition is free, is that the, right? This absolutely, the entire exhibition is free. We've had some wonderful sponsors come to the table. We've raised over $300,000 to bring this experience to the people of North Carolina, as well as 
transportation costs have been been taken care of for tier one counties. If you're in a tier one county and you have a school group or a group of kids that need to come see this exhibit, all you have to do is log on to our website and find out more information about it and book a trip. And James, you've been involved, I know, in helping um, uh, think through some of these uh, community engagement pieces. Uh, you think that's one of the, maybe one of the more powerful things that will come out of this? I think absolutely, Keith. The, the incredible reality is I think there are communities that are poised in positions. They're, they're nonprofit organizations. When you think about here in the triangle, the educational institutions. So I know, for example, for us as a YMCA, we feel like we already have people who are in the same space and this could be the catalyst to a healthy conversation mm -hmm. and really strengthening our communities. So the exhibition opens this week, yes. uh, well, it opens this weekend, and we'll be running through when? October 22nd, so we'll have it for a full six months. And because we've removed those barriers, there's no excuse. Come on out and check it out. Come several times. We've even translated 60% of the exhibit into Spanish. That's terrific. We have, and I know on our website, ncforum.org, we have links to the museum's website and Wells information all about the exhibition. So it's one of those things that uh, it, we hope that it will be uh, sticky for people. They'll yeah, get into it and, so. wanna, and, and want to engage. I think it's, uh, it sounds like an exciting exhibition. Yes. So um, uh, we'll just hope that uh, folks will turn out for it. Absolutely. So, But thank you both for being here today. Thank this you. is a great conversation about the important subject and we hope that the, uh, the new exhibition will help people as I've said before on the show, get more comfortable being uncomfortable. That's yes, right. And talking Absolutely. About it. That's right. So, but thank you all both for being thank here. Thank you, Keith. Before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. True or false, the average genetic difference between two individuals of the same race is about the same as that of two individuals from different races. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer true? Research has shown that any two individuals, regardless of race, have about the same differences in genetic makeup as two people from different races. We continue our conversation about race today with some special guests from Explorers Middle School in Raleigh and their new friend, uh, Mr. Joe Holt Jr. Sitting in the center, Joe Holt Jr. joins us today. We have two students from Explorers. We have Zach Boone. Uh, and we have Lev Cohen. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you, Keith. Um, we invited you. This seemed like a, uh, with, with our first conversation about this new exhibition in Raleigh, it seemed like a great opportunity to tell the story um, that you've been working on. These students have working on a student project, and we'll have some more information about that in a minute. But it was based on your story, uh, Mr. Holt. Um, just to give our viewers just a real beginning thumbnail, Take, we're going back to 1956. That's correct. Brown versus Board of Education, which may have said that uh, segregated schools were uh, unconstitutional and not allowed in the United States. Yes. 1956, you were a junior high school student, and the reality wasn't exactly the same here in North Carolina, was it? Uh, no, North Carolina and Raleigh in particular was a very thoroughly segregated city at that time, and the school system was entirely segregated in 1956. Uh, two years after Brown versus Board. And it's my understanding it remained mostly segregated for perhaps a decade and a half after, after mm -hmm. that. And so at that <clears throat> point, now your, your mom and dad, your mom was, uh, uh, was, in, the, uh, was in the school system. She, yes. she, she taught where? She taught uh, in the Wake County school system at Cary Colored 
elementary school. Which is what they were referred yeah, to then. That's right. And that was in Cary, North Carolina. Right. That school no longer exists, but that was the name of it at that time. But so you're, you know, I, in, from what I understand, your, your folks knew or at least understood, particularly your mom being in the school system, that she wanted you to have every opportunity and she didn't believe that, uh, you know, unless you were able to go to at that point, what were the all-white schools? I mean, you were you were at that point a rising eighth grader, so you would have been going and you were in junior high school, um, and and your your parents uh, applied to have you to enter into what was then Daniel's Junior High School, now Daniel's Middle, and then later Broughton High School. Right at 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 the time, I was actually in the eighth grade at the time that we applied for me to go to Daniel's. Uh, I had been promoted to the ninth grade and was slated to attend uh, the ninth grade I enter high school at J.W. Lincoln High School, which was on the other side of town. Mm -hmm. Daniels High School, Josephus Daniels Junior High School, was in my community. I lived on Oberlin Road. Daniels was located within the Oberlin community. So we submitted an application in August 56 for me to attend that school. And this was the beginning of the effort to integrate the schools in Raleigh. Right. And so and just to sort of close what ha what happened basically is for three years um, the school system and the schools denied your admittance because you were black. Yes, yes, we, we, that, that was the basis for it. They didn't want to say that it was the reason, Right. but that really was the reason it was based on race. All right, this is, um, um, Zach, I want to ask you, um, this, this project came about um, that it was you and Lev, and I should point out there were 12 students involved in this whole project that uh, I know that Mr. Holt has gotten to know. Why did this story um, need to be told by you? Well, first off, we started with just learning about civil rights in our eighth grade group. And our teacher, Shannon, had already known Mr. Holt. So, we had, so she had him come in and kind of tell us the background about his story. And we could tell by the emotion that he showed that it really meant a lot to him. And we could tell that what he went through really took a toll on him. So we felt that people should know what he went through in order to end segregation in Raleigh's public schools. So you, um, so the, you, you two students and, the, and the, the group of your students as part of a service learning project, I understand, uh, decided to, to do something about it, to try to not only tell the story, um, but maybe in some way uh, help right or wrong. Is that uh, kind of what you had in mind, Love? Yes, we definitely wanted to right or wrong that the Wake County School Board did, and we wanted to make sure that they apologized to Mr. Holt for their wrongs. And one of the things I mentioned that uh, Mr. Holt's mom was a, was a school uh, leader uh, her whole life, and uh, one of the things that the, your students have done is you've petitioned the Wake County School Board to name a school in her honor, I think, and, and you've referred to it as, as a reparation. Yes. Why would why that? I mean, why choose that path? I mean, you could you're getting some attention. We're going to try to get the story out through our TV show, but uh, why that path? Well, we wanted reparations because we wanted Wake County to acknowledge that they did something wrong and to apologize to Mr. Holt. But we also wanted to recognize him uh, through naming a school because he that's what that's that's what his story mattered in education. Right. And that's why we thought it'd be a great idea to try to get a high school or middle school uh, named after him. Mr. Holt, uh, what do you think about these young folks? Oh, I'm just very, very proud of them, first of all. Uh, I've, I've met with them on two or three occasions, and each occasion I've been just so impressed uh, with their intelligence. They're highly motivated. They work as a team. Um, 
much of this uh, credit needs to go to their teacher, Ms. Shannon Hardy. I've just been uh, very, very impressed and amazed at how they work together and the fact that they've done this research and understood uh, just what happened, the injustices back at that time, and that they, of their own volition, wanted to try to do something to correct it. I call them modern drum majors for justice. That's what I call them. That's a term taken from Dr. King. Dr. King said but, that we, but, we but, all have a role right, in that line. Right, but that class, they, they, are, they are young drum majors for justice. That's fantastic. Right. Zach, it's not, um, um, it's not lost on me that you're the same age. Um, yeah. You're going into high school, Sanderson, next year, that, um, that Mr. Holt was uh, going. This, uh, how does that make you feel? Well, just to know that Mr. Holt went through the same thing or went through this tragic event, these tragic events that he went through, I just think that if that was me in his shoes, I don't know how I would deal with it. So I just feel like many people should think about where they would be if it wasn't for the courage that he showed because many people would be on different life paths if it wasn't for what Mr. Holt did. Love, it must be a little bit hard in some ways um, as a young man to kind of fathom um, um, that you, uh, you, your friends that you go to school with now um, you know, might not be allowed through the door um, uh, in 1955. Yep, it, it really is hard to just picture and it seems like, you know, that never happened, but it did. Right. And I, I don't know how to deal with it, <laughs> you know. I don't know. I definitely wouldn't be brave enough to make a stand like Mr. Holt and his family. Yeah, and I should point out, I think we, we, we showed a clip on the, on the screen of, uh, as they were rotating around. There was a story, Mr. Holt, when, when this came, it got some press attention back then, also brought some unwanted attention. There it is on the screen now uh, with your family. Um, some unwanted attention to your family, too. Well, let me give a little bit of background for you about that photo. I think you're talking about the story that came out in the Raleigh Times in November right. 1956. Yep. Yep. And uh, I think the headline said, Negro Dad May Sue. But now, that sent quite a few messages. First of all, if you went through the newspapers back at that time in Raleigh, you seldom saw any photos of black people. You wouldn't even know they were in Raleigh uh, unless a crime had been committed. So the message to the community was that this family has crossed the line. Crossed the line. And, and they it, have committed an offense. And it resulted in some mm -hmm. harassment, and I think ultimately yeah. your father ended up losing his job over it. Right. Uh, unfortunately, we have, this is a, we have so much we wanted to talk about, <laughs> yes. uh, Mr. Holt, and, uh, but we are, we are out of time today. But I want to thank you for sharing your story you. with us today. Uh, Zach, love, thank you for what you're doing. I think you're making a difference um, um, at a young age, and I, I appreciate you being here. But thank you three for being here. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Russell Holloman, principal of Franklinton High School in Franklinton, North Carolina. 
We were a school of only around four or 500 just about 10 years ago, and now we are at 1,100 and growing by 60 to 70 students a year. Wake Forest and North Raleigh is kind of growing our direction. And so as people move here, you know, they're definitely looking for additional honors and AP offerings, um, also what kinds of hands-on technical education programs we can offer, college preparatory programs, making sure that we are you know, meeting all of those needs so that when students come here and apply to an Ivy League school or Chapel Hill NC State or go to Vance Granville Community College or the workforce, they are equally prepared. They used to come to school, high school and just to kind of work towards a diploma. Now we really see that that change, especially in the last decade, has shifted towards you know, really a, a focused preparatory program, whether it's work focus, career technical education focus, college focus. But learning has changed. It used to be a much more sit and get type of learning environment where you had the talking head in front of the classroom and then their job was to basically disseminate knowledge and you took notes and then you studied and you took a test and that proved if you understood something. Now learning is much more interactive. We have classes in our career and technical education department, pharmacy tech, culinary arts, ag mechanics, advanced manufacturing. Our kids either are going out to provide some service, or we actually have local community partners who are coming in. There's a company called Searcy in Youngsville, which does a lot of forensic technology and equipment. Um, you know, they've come to our school and actually partnered with our forensic science class to actually do labs for fingerprint analysis. Even though we're changing, even though we're growing, um, we want to maintain that community connection and that community feel. Here's a fun fact about this week's leader. He started off as a North Carolina teaching fellow. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. Today on the show, we focused on race. At the Public School Forum, we have studied issues of race and the interplay with education. In fact, a new initiative of ours called the Racial Equity Consortium aims to bring together school systems across the state to develop policies and initiatives to remove or at least lessen the role that race plays in determining success in school. But today's show is less about policy and more about us as people. The exhibition opening this week at the Museum of Natural Sciences, Race, Are We So Different?, looks at race in the United States through the eyes of history, science, and lived experience. The program explains how human variation differs from race and when and why the idea of race was invented. Now be warned, when you visit Race Are We So Different, you may actually walk out of the door knowing less about race than you thought you knew when you walked in. Science Science tells us we share a common ancestry and the, and the differences among people we see are natural variations, results of migration, marriage, and adaptation to different environments. The central message of the exhibition is that we call what we call races are not separate biological groups, but distinctions created by people oftentimes to mistreat or isolate those they regard, regard as different from themselves. Which brings us to the story of Joe Holt Jr. In 1957, his mom and dad wanted for him exactly the same thing I want for my daughter and that all of us who are parents want for our children, an opportunity to do better than we did, kindness from others, to be treated fairly. But they knew Joe Jr. was not going to get the same kind of education in their separate and clearly unequal all-black school that the white children of Raleigh were getting. Even though the U.S. Supreme Court had already ruled separate but equal schools were unconstitutional, 
the Holtz could not enroll their son. Their applications were turned down year after year. Mr. Holtz's dad lost his job over it, and the family received death threats. Now, this isn't ancient history. I mean, Joe Holtz sitting right over there in this studio, and we met him today. But the good news is, the hope is those awesome kids that surrounded him who decided to lift up his family name and are charting their own course and their own future, hopefully, at least when it comes to race, a better one than we did. That's it for this week's Education Matters. Next week's show, we'll be joined by State School Superintendent Mark Johnson. Plus, we'll explore the importance of early literacy. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.